Blog Talk Radio. September 17th, 2015. This is the show where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the philosophy that uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and today we're doing the show on Thursday uh, in part because there was the debate last night, and I actually think it would be a good idea to do on debate weeks the show on Thursday after the debate. But let's see how that turns out for the remainder of the calendar. I also happen to have a meeting that came up, one that I could not pass up, that's tomorrow in the middle of the day. So it kind of all worked out. So what I have prepared for you today is a big old post-debate debriefing, and I'm just going to kind of go through what I have, and then I'm hoping that you will chime in and tell me where you either think I got it right or wrong, or maybe there's something that I missed, which no doubt happened, because if you were watching last night, all of this stuff is coming at you thick and fast, and I mean, to me, the impression was that CNN kept the pace of the debate going a lot more quickly, and for three hours... That was a marathon. So if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw I was tweeting and tweeting and tweeting and tweeting for three hours. What I've done over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com is I have highlighted some of the tweets that I thought were notable things that you should take note of and that give you sort of an idea of each of the candidates. But what I did this morning as I was preparing, essentially, is I went through my Twitter feed. So what you're listening to today is you're listening to someone who was in school for a long time. I got a BS, a math applied science degree undergrad. I got a JD and then I went on and got a PhD. So I have sat in and taken notes in a lot of classes. And what did I do on Twitter last night? I essentially took notes with a little bit of my own commentary in there. And then I've gone through all that this morning and put together um I collated them basically by candidate and then also some overall comments for CNN. But I just want to say a quick word on behalf of Constitution Day. And, of course, we could you know, think of that focus, which of these candidates is actually for upholding the Constitution, not necessarily all of the various terms of the Constitution. There wasn't a whole lot of that discussion last night, not even very much Fourth Amendment discussion. And for me as a privacy kind of freak, I guess you would call it. Um, I 
am disappointed when they're not talking about NSA and bulk data collection. You know me. But the the most important thing is the spirit of a constitution, a government that is not a democracy, that is not in, you know in terms of mob rule, but a democ excuse me a government that is limited by a principle embodied in a constitution. And while this was done imperfectly in our case back in 1787, the principle in you know the fundamental principle that is embodied in our government's founding documents is the principle of individual rights. And especially when you incorporate the Declaration of Independence, that becomes clear. So um, kudos to our founding fathers, all of the delegates who met on this day back in 1787 to sign the Constitution, and it's part of the reason that things are not as bad as they could be today, so we have them to thank for it. All over the place, there are awesome celebrations, and if you have the opportunity, definitely go and join in on it, because celebrating the idea of a constitutional republic and a limited government is something that may be going out of style with all the talk of democracy out there. The uh, phone number to call in if you do want to join in on the discussion after I'm kind of through with my spiel is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Thank you to those of you who are joining me here in the chat room as well. I see Trevor gets to listen here for a little bit. Hi, Freedom Breeze. Just Jean Fiona Welcome from Australia. I might actually have a question for you later about Australia because they've had some political upheaval over there. And John Kenny. Uh, John Kenny, one question. Are you a bigger Fiona? Fiona, sorry, <laughs> slip. Fiorina. We have Fiona here in the chat room. That's her first name. We have Carly Fiorina, the candidate. And I have uh, just uh, you know, exchanged the two. Not too bad to be associated with Carly Fiorina on this day, though. So um, tell me, John, are you a bigger fan of Carly Fiorina after the debate? I wouldn't be surprised if you would be. She seems to be the big winner, according to most people overall. Can we take a second and put down my laptop? One minute. I need more surface area here in my studio. I've got the laptop or I've got my notes, and that's what I have. So I have this this huge uh, packet of notes here. Let's, let's go through first. CNN. Now, CNN, I complained many times on Twitter last night that they were trying to get Fiorina to attack Trump. Over and over and over, they were baiting her to say something nasty about Trump. And time after time, she was able to steer clear of that and, you know, deflect all of it, basically put it out there in terms of the court of public opinion, so to speak, to decide what they thought about Trump's comments. And she herself didn't have to do it. Uh, CNN, I was very happy with the ability that we had to live stream those of us who have so-called cut the cord like to be able to get the debates online. There was a little bit of refreshing and navigating that you have to do in order to stream it unless you log in with your cable company provider. But still, I was able to get the entire thing. Uh, three hours? I thought three hours was a bit long. I would, I would think 
yeah, you've got so many people on stage. That needs to change. We need to get rid of some of them. But still, even with that many people on stage, I thought two and a half hours probably would have been about right. It was getting a little bit ridiculous. But kudos to them for keeping the pace going as as quickly as it did and exhausting us. Um, Another good thing about CNN is I didn't find that their questions were soliciting religious sermons like the questions that Fox gave all the candidates the last time. I was actually predicting that they would try to do more of that, that CNN would be even more motivated to have the Republican candidates launching into religious sermons, but there wasn't too much of that. The negative, I'm kind of going back and forth, positive and negative, negative, way too much ad hominem. They were provoking a lot of ad hominem discussion, inciting bickering, and not enough substance on the issues. And weird questions, I mean, albeit fun, Secret Service code names, interesting. Um, But those code names, it was funny, when I was listening to them, they say, okay, what would your Secret Service code name be? And it does, it reveals something about the candidate, but it's more like, you know, boxers or briefs or something. It's it's just not that essential. but I was thinking that those code names had to be private and so that whatever they said there on stage, maybe this is the first time they've gotten the question and they thought of the perfect code name that they would want to go by if they were president. And then suddenly they can't have it because the code name has to be private. But as I understand it, a friend of mine said that these code names need not be private. And so they were actually given the opportunity to choose their code name. Um, Some of them did nicely and chose just a one word, but some of them were, um, you know, kind of wieldly, unwieldy. They're coming up with code names in the the chat room here. Trevor says that Christy should be the muffin man. Yeah, and Freedom Breeze says about CNN, no, not enough substance. We need more depth on the Iran deal. You know who was able to get in some in-depth comments on the Iran deal was Ted Cruz. And in particular, he, <laughs> Cruz's code name should be Pigman. That's awesome, says Motive Power. Um, uh, what Cruz was able to say about the Iran deal, where he called into question the approach that was promoted by Kasich and, and other of the candidates about the kind of wait and see approach. Well, let's see. You know, if they adhere to the deal, then I guess it's okay. And Cruz says, no, no, no. It's not like you say, oh, Start over a clean slate. We have already given Iran plenty of chances. And as Cruz pointed out during the debate last night, even while this deal was in the process of being consummated, so to speak, uh, you've got religious leaders in Iran going out, Khomeini even, going out and, and leading the chance of death to America and everything. So this is ridiculous to think that somehow we can expect them to adhere to this deal. Um, you know, the people, when they were talking about the Republicans, and, and it, it's true about the Republicans, that the Republicans treat us, the voters, in the same way that Lucy would always treat Charlie Brown. You know, go ahead and kick the football, and then Lucy would always pull out the football. And time and time again, he trusts Lucy that she's not going to pull away the football. And the Republicans are doing that with us all the time. Um, You know, the latest right now is just that they, um, again, aren't going to do a 
straight up and down vote in favor of the Iran Treaty. They're doing this weird thing about whether they can do a, di- a disapproval. And it's the Republicans that backed us into that corner. So, um, you know, that, that's just one. But what we're doing with the Iran deal is much worse. The idea that we can trust Iran and start over in some way, you know, just give it, you know, could push the reset button, as some of our leadership would like to say, is completely wrong. And the stakes are so much higher. You know, Charlie Brown is just going to fall flat on his back or something. But this is life and death. And here's Kasich out there. Oh, let's just wait and see, you know, if uh, if they comply. So I think that that was pretty good. <laughs> Carly's code name says motive power should be PC load letter. <laughs> um Mark Levin says that the debate should be controlled by the Republican Party, not the networks. The primary, yeah, the event primarily isn't for about Republicans. It should be. And what I'm thinking, John, you know, I just saw a headline this morning that CNN, because of the debate last night, enjoyed the highest ratings it has ever experienced. And perhaps, as the Republicans are saying, "Look, we're delivering you these ratings," then maybe they're bargaining power is going to go up so that CNN will actually broadcast on its network a debate that is at least more controlled by the Republicans and and less controlled by them. Um, Now, Fiorina. Overall, my description of Fiorina's performance is strong and classy. At the moment, I am very much enamored with Fiorina, and I don't know if part of that is simply because I'm a woman, and I enjoyed watching a strong, classy woman stand up to bully Trump and succeed. Um, that is, you know, some some bully like Trump really needs to be stood up to and put in his place, and to have him put in his place by a woman when he's so patronizing a woman. I mean, even last night, he you know talks about how he's going to take care of women. That is so patronizing and sexist and lame. And then. What, he's going to put his daughter on the $10 bill? And I was waiting for him to launch into some of the comments that he would talk about before, which is how sexy and stuff his daughter is. What has his daughter accomplished and why would he put her on a $10 bill? It was ridiculous. So to have Fiorina stand strong and stay classy in the face of Trump and in the in the face of CNN goading her, to attack Trump, I thought that was excellent. Before the debate started, before the main, you know, event as they call it started, Ben Shapiro had, you know, tweeted out there that he predicted Fiorina was going to attack Trump and that was going to be her undoing. And actually, I thought maybe that was going to happen as soon as I saw CNN start to bait her into doing that. But she handled it really well. She was wonderful at deflecting CNN's attempts to get her to attack Trump. Um, My one objection to her in terms of, actually, I think I had two objections to her in terms of substance. She does talk about arming partners in the Middle East in her foreign policy. I don't know how much, actually, that she got across about that last night. She sounded good on foreign policy last night. The one thing I really loved about her in foreign policy was when she talked about Putin and she said, we've talked way too much already to Putin, that basically we shouldn't be talking to him and that it's action only at this point with respect to our handling of Russia. My only concern is that she and Rubio 
would compete with each other on the idea that Rubio articulated more, which was that we better go ahead and arm, quote-unquote, partners in the Middle East before Russia does. Like, it's a race to see who can partner with more, you know, factions, whoever the, you know, moderates of the moment are in the Middle East. And that is a very dangerous policy. We could talk about arming Kurds, but if you're talking about arming anybody else, I am immediately suspicious. Um, And I'm not sure in the long run how well the whole partnership with the Kurds is going to work out either. I don't have enough information myself to evaluate that, but certainly when you're talking about arming any, quote, moderate Muslims, training any, quote, moderate Muslims. Recently, I saw a headline that said that one of the military, or if not the military leader in ISIS, was trained by us. So this policy is no good. And you can't have an excuse and say, oh, well, you know, we've left a power vacuum in the Middle East and the Russians are going to fill it. And so that's why we have to go and arm all these people. We either are going to take care of it with our own military or people who are clear allies or don't do it. And so that's one thing that I would love to talk to Fiorina about. She is a smart woman and seems to be uh, somebody who could be educated by military experts if the need uh, arose. But, you know, this idea, it's like, oh, let's compete with Russia and see who can come in there and fill the so-called power vacuum by uh, army partners. That, to me, is dangerous. She did a great job defending her record at Hewlett-Packard. People have, I think, unfairly attacked her for it. Trump kept citing one guy from Harvard or something who thinks she's bad. And he's always citing, you know, some unnamed or people who we don't know experts for opinions about his own business record and then also about Fiorina. And it's just appeal to authority. It is empty. We need substance from you, Donald Trump. It's uh, ridiculous. John Kenny says that Carly stirs my masculinity. Okay, that is that is good. Um, I'm sure that she would appreciate hearing that, especially when Trump was attacking her uh, about her looks. I thought she did extremely well. The only other objection that I had, and like I said, foreign policy, she's, sounds quite good. Um, you know, this idea that you don't talk to bad people like Putin was a fairly unique position to be taking on that floor last night because you had a number of them saying basically, oh, I'll talk to anybody. It's uh, you, you can talk. Engagement is awesome, right? Uh, no, you know, there's certain people that you don't, quote, engage with. They are that bad. And I think people who clearly get that are, are Fiorina and also Cruz. How many others uh, than that actually get it? I'm not sure. Um, So what's my other objection? My other objection is when she was talking about drug addiction, and I am super sympathetic with her for having lost a child to drug addiction that I can't even imagine how horrible it is of what she's gone through. But nonetheless, I don't think it's a proper function of government to provide treatment for drug addiction. Uh, I agree more with Rand Paul that when you're talking about drugs, these are in essence crimes where, you know, if you're going to call it a crime, but the only victim of the crime is the person themselves, of course, people they care about too. But in, you know, in terms of doing some physical harm to a person, the only person who is having physical harm done to them is the person who's giving themselves the drugs. 
Um, I'm all for family members coming in and stuff, but it is not a proper function of government to provide, for instance, drug treatment programs. We could say that as a society, more attention needs to be drawn to it. And, you know, if she wants to, you know, use whatever microphone that she has to talk about it and educate, I'm perfectly sympathetic with that. But, you know, and and I, I give her a pass as well. I'm just wanted to go ahead and raise the objection. I, I did like her idea of daring Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama to watch the Planned Parenthood videos. Um, I, of course, I'm sympathetic with defunding Planned Parenthood because I don't think that it is a proper function of government to provide even what they call women's health services apart from abortion, much less fund abortions. This is not a proper function of government. And I have not myself watched the Planned Parenthood videos. I am pretty convinced that I would be disgusted by these videos because as much as I think people should have a right to abortion, I do not think that people should be callously talking about what you do with the fetuses afterwards in the ways that I understand some of the Planned Parenthood officials were talking about these fetuses. Um, abortion would be something that you would use. It, basically, you know, I, I'm analogizing. My position really on abortion would be like um, Rand Paul's position on going to war. You know, it's like a very much last resort. And it's certainly nothing that you should be very excited about. Um, and this idea that you would be very callous about, you know, how you dispose of the the baby parts and, you know, selling them off. Do I actually think it would be wrong to sell off the the parts of the fetuses and stuff? No. But if you're going to be cavalier about it, I ugh, I don't know. And it, I would have a very hard time myself watching it. Um, I liked her message, you know, talking about from secretary to CEO. This is how she introduced herself. And she wrapped up at the end as well with the message that anybody in the United States should be able to make a wonderful life and career for themselves based solely on what she calls God-given talents, but she, you know, whatever talents we have, she happens to believe they come from God. A Cobra pilot here in the chat room says, I am just finishing Fiorina's book. I like almost everything she says, except she has too much God talk. Yes, and that would be it. Now, here's the thing, though, right? And And here's where I don't think that my slight preference for her this morning is based solely on her you know, kind of tough performance against Trump last night. Part of it is the fact that even though she is very religious herself, obviously, she was smart enough to not align herself with Kim Davis, right? She said that Kim Davis, she wants to do that, you know, follow her conscience, that she would should resign, that she actually wasn't correct to deny the uh, issuing of the marriage licenses. So, as religious as she is, she didn't go as far as certainly Huckabee or, but even a Ted Cruz. Um, there's that. So, but you know, still Ted Cruz has piles of substance, and I need to learn a little bit more about some of Fiorina's specific positions on things before I can totally jump in. But I really, really was impressed with her last night and. You know the the uh, you know again if if we are looking for somebody who is not perfect but very good 
and who, even though they are religious, reassures you that they're not on the road to theocracy, she may indeed be that person. Another thing that, you know, think about now, again, you know, what's the broader context here? The broader context, if I'm talking from an objectivist perspective, is that none of these people are great. Okay. Um, None of these people are objectivists. They're not very consistent or principled about this. You know, people say, well, consistency is the most important thing. We don't have, I was going to say that luxury. I hate to think of that as a luxury to, to, you know, talk about consistency with respect to principles, but we have to choose from among a number of imperfect candidates. And unfortunately, one of the things that we do need to think about is once we choose someone to go beyond this, you know, initial hurdle of winning the primaries, that person is going to have to face off against the Democrats and have a reasonable chance of being elected. And I've heard some anecdotal uh, evidence from last night that there were liberal college students who were watching these debates and they were throwing pot shots at, you know, uh, Cruz, notably uh, Huckabee, all these other candidates. But they were quiet and respectful and even somewhat impressed with Fiorina. So this is worth thinking about. Um, you know, if you say, well, between all the various positions, you know, and, and this is kind of how I'm feeling right now, Cruz is better on these things and Fiorina is better on certain things and maybe she's the same on other things. And if you're kind of, you know, 50-50 on those two and you know that Fiorina's got a serious chance of being elected and putting us back on the right path, I'm almost going to throw my hat in the ring for Fiorina under that. Um yeah, Tim in the chat room says that some objectivists are still looking for a perfect political candidate, and that is for sure. Uh, Freedom Bree says we have to get someone who will turn the boat away from the cliff. Yes, and I think Fiorina could definitely do that. It also depends that uh, it depends on who the running mate is, or if she's the running mate of somebody good. So we have to see how this all comes out. But I'm just letting you know where my thinking is is going at this point. Robert Nasir in the chat room says, sorry, the options for 2016 are all out on the table. Yeah, these are the ones that we have, and we've got to choose as best we can from these, you know, imperfect candidates. Let's talk about Rubio. There are a number of people, you know, among my social media contacts who are very impressed with Rubio. And generally, I think Rubio's, pretty good. I, As it stands right now, if I voted for him, I don't think I would throw up. Um, he, you know, it, it's funny, at the beginning he came in and, and he was introducing himself and he made that great little joke about the water and he tied it into the California drought because the debate was conducted in the California at the, the Reagan Library. And uh, I had forgotten that whole thing about Rubio and the water until I was going through my notes this morning. It was even a greater joke that he poked against himself. He's just he's got a very, you know, nice demeanor. He seems very earnest. He is so knowledgeable on foreign policy and very impressive when he's talking about it. He really showed up Trump on foreign policy. And I, you know, give him kudos for being I think the first one to tell the moderators how to do their job, he was telling them, ask Trump about specific foreign policy issues that we really need to 
see how inadequate this guy is. Um, but again, the reservation that I have with Rubio is that he seemed to imply that we need to be sort of in a race with the Russians to figure out who's going to arm and train moderate Muslims in the Middle East. And I think that is entirely wrong. In fact, I'm going to ask you guys what you think about it, but go ahead and call in and tell me what you think. Donald Trump put out there an interesting idea in foreign policy. Probably other people have done this too, but you know, he said, why not let Syria and ISIS fight each other and then just pick up the remnants? Why are we getting involved? Now, I'm wondering if Rand Paul would also be on board with that sort of approach. And then you could say, well, what sort of security interests of the United States would be involved in that? This would all have to be left to experts. But put that option on the table. Why is it that we have to intervene in that? Could ISIS be, you know, the danger that ISIS you know, presents, which it does, could that danger be eliminated by letting, you know, Syria fight them? Or is he completely wrong about how things would play out if he did that? Um, uh, John Kenny says, Amy, what about it's time for a woman president argument? Uh, he says, I suspect this will generate many votes for Hillary. Carly, at par- uh, partially at least, can offset this, a factor to support Carly. Yes, there's there's that too. And John, I don't know how much of the fact that she was a woman played into the college student's receptivity to her message. You know, again, this is anecdotal, but I'm hearing from people on social media who were watching college students watching the debate that this was going on. Uh, I tend to think it's just the way that she handles herself. I mean, she has the ability, which is so key, I think, to deliver her positions uh, in a way that doesn't seem to completely offend uh, everybody like the way that Trump does. Um, just Jean says, Carly ran for Senate in California, was not able to beat Barbara Boxer. That is true, but I'm thinking that Carly is running a much better campaign now. She is much better at articulating her message, um, and she is doing extremely well now in the polling and with the media and everybody else. So the fact that she failed in the past does not mean she's going to fail now. And Barbara Boxer, uh, to me, Barbara Boxer has just always struck me as inept and somebody who has the wrong ideas. But Hillary Clinton has so much baggage, so much even potentially criminal baggage that I think that she could do. Um, Yeah. I think she could do. Yeah, uh, Tim also says different odds in a national race. Yes, true. California versus nationwide. I would expect that Carly Fiorina won't necessarily even win the state of California if she runs. Usually in California, if you're voting in a presidential election and you're not voting for the Democrat, you are throwing away your vote. So you might just be doing it as a protest vote or something. Um, yeah, any any Republican would struggle to win in California, and I think that is right. The only type of Republican that doesn't struggle to win in a state like California is somebody who isn't really a Republican. Uh, you know, for instance, Kasich last night bragged about being able to unseat an incumbent Democrat. Well, why do you think that is? It's because Kasich is Kasich. He's not really a Republican, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Let's go back to Rubio. I thought Rubio was good on the climate change issue. He himself 
is not a climate change denier, so to speak. He doesn't try to assert that human beings are not responsible for, you know, global warming or climate change or whatever you want to call it this week. But at the same time, he talks about what I think is true. And this is stuff that you could get from Alex Epstein, right? Um, That even if you think that human beings are responsible for doing things that will, quote, change the climate, make it a little bit warmer, etc., nonetheless, any of these draconian sacrificial measures that are being, you know, put forth by these politicians who want us to stop enjoying life, stop using our fossil fuels that keep us warm on, excuse me, keep us cool on 100 degree days of which I've had plenty this summer. Um, They want us to sacrifice on behalf of the planet. He had this one line and it, it didn't quite fly Rubio, but I, to me, I felt like I got the spirit of it, even though you can't really take it exactly literally. He said, America is not a planet. And his idea was he is for the interests of the American people, for the success of people in our economy. And he rejected outright the idea that we should do all these sacrificial things in order to so-called save the planet um, and, you know, destroy jobs, destroy our economy. So I, I was definitely impressed with uh, with that as well. He defended himself well against Trump about his voting record. His voting record, the problems with his voting record have to do with the fact that he didn't show up for votes. And he says, look, I'm not showing up for votes. Why? Because I'm leaving the Senate. So I would guess what Rubio is doing is he's showing up for votes only when his vote can actually make a difference on something that he can, uh, you know, uh, affect. Now, oh, Robert in the chat room is saying that Carly can pick up can pick up a little bit from the female angle, but only a little bit. Still, Robert, uh, that is something unfortunately we have to take into account right now. Just this morning, I saw a headline on Drudge that the Obama administration is pushing to get citizenship for a whole bunch of immigrants before the election. Why? So that they can vote for Democrats. We need to get every little bit that we can in every state. So I do take it into account, and it's going to be interesting to see how the polls and everything else play out in the future. But um, and also, again, I've got to look more into Fiorina versus Trump and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, so Rubio, good overall. Now, what about Kasich? Kasich, to me, his entire candidacy is embodied in one thing that he said last night. And what the you know Tapper asked all of them is, given that you're going to replace the uh, Hamilton on the $10 bill with a woman, which woman would you choose? Who would you choose to be on the $10 bill? And Kasich said that even though it would be illegal because it wouldn't be an American, he would put Mother Teresa on the $10 bill. And to me, you know, Mother Teresa, here she is, the symbol of self-sacrifice, the idea that you are your brother's keeper, etc. And she wants to replace Alexander Hamilton with Mother Teresa. That is the perfect embodiment of his candidacy. In fact, I think... Later in the evening, he actually did explicitly say something about the fact that we are our brother's keeper. And I see 
him and Santorum basically in a competition for who is the worst because he both of them are religious and so they want to of course control us on the in the realm of social issues as they call it so control whatever you're doing in in the bedroom and anywhere else and then on the other hand they also are for intervention in the economy and higher taxes and all that kind of stuff so it's no surprise to me that Kasich defeated an incumbent Democrat. You know, it was funny because Kasich was talking about, you know, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I want to decrease taxes and this, that, and the other, and or, and and he talks about the record of what's going on in his state, and he expresses concern about Medicaid funding in the future. Right? He is in big trouble in his state. Why? Because he opted to partake in the Obamacare Medicaid expansion. And that looks good on paper for all the governors in the, you know, first several years of Obamacare. But then I think eventually the federal subsidy for that Medicaid expansion is cut off. And suddenly there's going to be a huge budget deficit in Ohio that he, 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 he is responsible for. And so, you know, here he is. He's trying to be a Republican he embraced that Medicaid expansion as if it was the greatest thing in the world. Of course, I think he's talked about before, you know, how are they going to judge us? You know, like, how is he going to be judged in the next life? It's going to be based on how much he helped poor people and stuff. He's acting perfectly consistently. Mother Teresa replacing Hamilton, one of the signers of the Constitution, right? That embodies his candidacy perfectly. So I would say, please, don't have him in the next debate. Let's hear from candidates who are plausible. And, you know, I, I would like to hear more from the plausible candidates and less from him. Huckabee. Huckabee's another one. Huckabee at one point said that he wanted to, when he goes into office, declare war on cancer and heart disease and other diseases, which, first of all, is crazy talk to use. And your own Brooke was pointing it out last night on Twitter you know, a war on this and a war on that, this, you know, jingoistic sort of language, and we don't even know how to conduct a proper war anymore, so the term war has lost all meaning, so why not go ahead and, you know, apply it to drugs and cancer and everything else? But, you know, so it's crazy talk. The other thing, importantly, is that it is not a proper function of government to cure diseases. We need private biotech firms and you know medical research firms to cure cancer and heart disease and everything else. We don't need government to be doing this. And this idea that you call yourself a Republican, which is supposed to be for smaller government, and you are proposing what sounds like a huge new government, you know, government program that's going to conduct a war on cancer and heart disease and everything else. That's ridiculous. Um Huckabee, if you noticed, even though CNN wasn't really inviting the candidates to go into, um, you know, kind of sermon mode, at the slightest provocation, Huckabee can go into sermon mode. He doesn't need any invitation to do so. The other thing about Huckabee that really struck me, the guy knew that he shouldn't be there. He knew he did not belong there. And I mean, you know, let's put aside the fact that he did that ridiculous little press conference with Kim Davis, who was, you know, they were doing like the religious revival meeting, rejoicing over the fact that they were denying homosexuals their marriage licenses, which they're supposed to get under the law. 
rejoicing about that in the way that they did. Ugh. Um, so he, he just knows. He knows he doesn't belong there. He's not pulling great and everything. And and how that kind of manifested itself was his making all of these self-inclusive statements. He's like, yeah, here I am. And all these guys on the stage, they're the A-team. You know, they're awesome. I, three or four times in the night, he was talking about how great everyone on stage was. And the implication is, and here I am with them, and I'm great too. It was pathetic. Um, so I could definitely do with him not being part of the next debate. I don't see any chance that he could get the nomination either. Neither he nor Kasich. And I also don't find that I get anything great. You know, Huckabee sometimes says some good things about Iran. But that's it. And Ted Cruz can say just as excellent things about Iran, and we don't need Huckabee there to do it. Freedom Breeze in the chat room says, Huckabee super religious, loves Kim Davis. He has no idea what the proper function of government is. Yeah, I guess the proper function of government is to implement religious ideology. <laughs> Trevor says, how about having a war on statist altruism? That would be awesome. <laughs> Definitely good. Um, in the earlier debate, just Jean points out that Pataki said that he thought Kim Davis should have been fired. Good for him. And I mean, who knows? Maybe we could see like a Fiorina Pataki. We don't know if Fiorina ends up being the nominee, whom she would choose as a running mate and why. Who knows what goes on behind the scene there? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be Trump, though. Now, let's talk about Trump. Um Interesting idea that he put out there about letting Syria and ISIS fight each other and just pick up the remnants. Is that a strategy that would work? Those of you who have military expertise could call in and let me know what you thought of that. Uh, he called Carly Fiorina beautiful, though. He actually backtracked on a comment that he had previously made. Remember, he went and was talking with Rolling Stone, and he says about you know her picture on the television screen, Look at that face. Would anybody elect that face to be president of the United States saying there's something wrong with her face? And Fiorina was excellent last night, like I said, in just, you know, saying, okay, well, you know, all the women out there know exactly what Trump said. I don't have to, you know, talk about it or spell it out, in effect. And Trump took it back and called Fiorina beautiful right there in front of the audience. So at least that's good for him. But Here's Trump. What do you get from substance? He wants to raise taxes on hedge funds. Says he's not for a flat tax because the rich won't pay enough. What sort of tax simplification are we going to get? I think we have to wait a couple weeks to see his plan. Uh, is he going to try to keep accountants employed versus, for example, a Ted Cruz who says he wants to get rid of the IRS and install a flat tax? Social Security, he says, in essence, yeah, he agrees that people just shouldn't take Social Security. And, of course, I think people have the option right now of not claiming their Social Security benefits. So it'd be, it would be interesting to see. I think Trump is eligible for Social Security. I know he's rich. He keeps reminding us he made $10 billion. Um, so clearly his date of being able to claim Social Security benefits, it's, it's at an, a, you know a later age. But I think 70 is that age, so he's over 70, right? So we could ask him 
did you claim your Social Security benefits or are you a hypocrite? Because he's basically saying rich people shouldn't get those. Um, I was uh, reminded this morning of a comment that Trump made last night. A friend of mine, uh, Debbie, I was talking to her, and she said that he had, uh, in, in response to, I think it was Carson saying that a progressive tax was socialist. One of the other candidates was said that a progressive income tax was socialist. And he said that, this is Trump, he said, we've had a progressive tax for a long time, and so therefore it's not socialist. Um, the fact that United States has had a policy in place for a long time does not make it non-socialist. We are a mixed economy, and that means we have a mixture of socialist elements, like a progressive tax, alongside capitalist elements, which means essentially the fundamental is we are socialist. We are not you know, in, in, in fundamentals. Um, a funny thing, the code word, the Secret Service code word that he was going to get was humble. That's good. Um, one thing I want to talk about is this idea that he's going to study up on foreign policy, right? He is refusing to do it now, and he's trying to assure everyone that if he gets elected, by the time he takes office, he's going to know more than all of us about foreign policy because he's really smart and he's really successful and he made $10 billion, and so you should just trust him. Um, it's entirely wrong, right? Because... What we're looking for when we're watching his performance in a debate is we want to know what sort of decision-making sort of approach that he has, how he's going to evaluate facts that are relevant to policy, foreign policy. And so if he's saying, well, I don't know anything now, and so I'm not really going to show you what my policy-making decisions would be like, we would be voting for him blind. We're supposed to just trust him. And foreign policy is not like doing business. You know, he has the idea like everyone's going to respect him and he gets along with everyone and all that. That is not what foreign policy is. Foreign policy is primarily about keeping us safe from the bad guys. Rubio got it right. You know, what's what's job one of the federal government? Keeping us safe. And that means that there are bad guys out there who want to initiate force against us. And, yeah, there are people who use these, you know, uh, kind of military metaphors when they're talking about economics. But in economics, you're on the premise of coming to some sort of mutual agreement based on terms. Someone voluntarily says that they'll give up something in exchange for something else that the other person gives. You're not on the premise of forcing other people. I mean, you could talk about, quote, hostile takeovers and all this kind of stuff, but these are metaphors as I understand them. This is not the same as initiation of force. So this is an entirely different realm in which Trump has absolutely no experience, and he's saying, ah, I don't have to bother to study that right now or let you know what I really think. The only policy proposal that he put forth is this idea about letting ISIS and Syria fight each other. Not sure where he got it. He may have had a cocktail conversation with the general or something. It would be interesting to know and kind of press him on it. But my point is, we have no idea how his mind is going to work in the realm of foreign policy. And it would be valuable for us to see that. Uh, <laughs> Tim in the chat room is quoting Trump. I will build a wall so big, it's going to be huge. <laughs> and then just Gene says, and I'll name it after myself, the Trump wall. 
Uh, Nasir says the word is bluster. Yeah, but I mean, it, it is it is important for us to be able to see their minds in action, dealing with facts and coming to decisions on the basis of those facts and see if we agree with their thought process insofar as, you know, we agree that certain facts are the way they are and all that kind of stuff, right? So this is a complex process of us analyzing these candidates. And he's telling you, you have to have this huge blind spot about me. Huge, huge blind spot, right? Um, Which is foreign policy. You're just supposed to trust him. He's going to study up. He's going to be so smart about it, smarter than you are. Just trust him. Silly comment by him of the night. Autism has become an epidemic. Not exactly, right? Wrong word of the use of the word epidemic. Is it is it a problem, perhaps? Yes. Is it being diagnosed more? Certainly. Epidemic? Mm. Uh, to Bush, he made a good comment. He said, your brother gave us Barack Obama. So that was true to Bush. Uh, for bankruptcies, he was still pathetic on bankruptcies. And I give credit to Carly Fiorina for calling him out on his record with respect to bankruptcy because, you know, he's sitting there talking about how what a poor job she did with Hewlett Packard and there was this loss of jobs and that. How about when four times he declared bankruptcy? Now, he'll be the first to remind you. He says, well, I didn't declare bankruptcy. It wasn't personal bankruptcy. It was just my business. To me, that's irrelevant. But the other thing that he throws around out there besides trying to divide himself from the company and then therefore you know, deflect the criticism, he also says people gave him credit for how he used bankruptcy. Like they thought he was really smart about the way that he used bankruptcy. Who cares? Who are these people? On what basis did they give him credit? We're not supposed to ask. You know, there's polls. There's people who give him credit. It's all appeal to authority. And you're not supposed to look behind it and ask for any substance at all. In fact, it was really funny because um, I saw a headline this morning. I didn't end up clicking on it. I was really rushing through all my tweets. If you actually go to my Twitter feed, it is full. I worked hard last night. So I had to rush kind of to get through everything. But one headline I saw was that Donald Trump said about last night's debate that there was too much Donald Trump in the debate. And it's because he has no real substance. And he knows that the more he talks, the more he's revealing that compared to the other candidates, there's not nearly as much substance. Uh, Freedom Breeze says that she liked his comment, I don't feel safe. And I agree with that. Because You know, here was Bush saying that his brother, George W. Bush, quote, kept us safe. And we all know that that is garbage because it is his brother, George W. Bush, who squandered the political capital that he had post 9-11 and refused to fight the proper war against the proper enemy. And all the while was out there saying, oh, Islam means peace, which Islam does not mean peace. It means submission person who takes Islam seriously wants all of us non-Muslims to submit and either become Muslims or pay the jizya, in other words, let them exist on welfare at our expense forever and ever. That is what they want, and I refuse. Um, 
Okay, so going on now. Yeah, but I no, I definitely agree. This, you know, Trump was great to say I don't feel safer, and there is a reason for that. Uh, it, you know, it was interesting at one point, Bush between Bush and Trump, they were going back and forth about the issue of fundraising, and Trump brags about the fact that he's not financially in effect in debt to anybody to whom. You know, he, he's not raising funds and therefore he's not being bought by special interests, so to speak. But he has spoken in the past about all of his lucrative business dealings in the Middle East. So I would press him more about how much he's really in debt to some, uh, you know, powerful Muslims in the Middle East, even if he's not doing it in a fundraising way in terms of how he has earned his money and where his alliances are. It doesn't have to be fundraising in order for him to feel some sort of debt to the wrong people. Uh, Chris Christie, how many times can he invoke 9-11 and the fact that he was a prosecutor appointed supposedly on 9-10 and all that kind of stuff? He does all that, invokes that. Why? Because he has a huge, huge wart in his policy ensemble. That's a mixed metaphor if I ever heard one. Uh, he is for bulk data collection. Chris Christie is in favor of bulk data collection. No probable cause, no particularized suspicion. Why? Because 9-11, that's it. Um, the other thing is I caught him in a lie. He talked last night as if he's against you know, increasing taxes, but the way he gets to talk about it and not lie explicitly is he can talk about how many tax increases he vetoed as governor. So the statement that he makes is, I vetoed more tax increases than anybody else, I think, on this stage or something like that, he said it. But even if he vetoed a bunch of tax increases, nonetheless, New Jersey taxes have effectively increased since the time he's been in office. And over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com, I put a link there to uh, fact check. And they're talking about all of the taxes and fees that have increased because of Chris Christie in New Jersey. So do check that out. Um, Trevor in the chat room says, Christie is a huge wart, a pus-filled cyst on the ass of politics. Uh, and he also says, should the should the jizya be delivered via conventional or nuclear weapons? You know, really, either way is fine with me. I'm I'm fine with it. One good thing that Christie did say, you know, and again, Christie was trying to talk. You know, he's trying to act like the, you know, kind of arbitrator, the mediator among all the people who are fighting on stage. And oh, it's really about the American people. It's not about us. You know, let's put the camera on the American people, right? You know, he's he's the bigger than everybody person and actually literally is, but you know what I mean. Um, he says that we need to put nuclear energy back on the table, and that is true. He talks about, you know, quote, meeting the clean air guidelines in New Jersey. He's bragging about that, but he's doing it in terms of, you know, he says one of the reasons is nuclear. Nuclear needs to be back on the table. Now, he's right there. Let's go ahead and bring nuclear back into the discussion. That would be wonderful. I would love a lower electric bill due to nuclear. That would be great. Um, another thing to watch out for with Christie is he spoke. He was trying to sound tough. He says, why haven't we repealed and replaced Obamacare? 
Now, if you want to sound tough, you should just say, why haven't we repealed Obamacare yet? But he has to put in replace. Why? Because he knows he's not for a straight repeal the way some of the candidates, notably Ted Cruz, are. He's for repealing and replacing. Actually, Scott Walker came out and promised to repeal Obamacare on day one, which I thought was a good move for him. He talks about the necessity to save Social Security and other entitlement programs. What he means to do, presumably, is tax the rich more, although he doesn't put it in those terms. He wants rich people to pay into the program but get no benefits, i.e. be taxed more. And that's how he's going to save entitlement programs. Okay, He is not a Republican. If he brags about, you know, he talked about being an outsider because he's a Republican in New Jersey. No, sorry, you're not really a Republican either. You and Kasich can go have coffee and discuss. Um, the other thing that he was very wrong about when he was trying to be Mr. Mediator and Moderator, uh, you know, self-appointed on the stage, he was criticizing the discussion for being about Trump and Fiorina's backgrounds as business le- business leaders. You know how Trump and Fiorina were going back and forth. And I think it is very important for us to know the backgrounds of Trump and Fiorina as business leaders because that is their resume. I mean, maybe to him, a politician, somebody who has been in the political sphere or an appointee his whole life, this private sector work isn't important. But here we have a chance to maybe elect somebody who doesn't have a political resume, and it's important to look at what their background is. Now, what about Walker? Um, Like I said, I thought Walker was good to talk about repealing Obamacare on day one. Um, He was also good when he was talking about military. He sort of took back something that he had said before. He had said something like, if we had 3,000 ground troops, we could cure our problem, maybe ISIS in the Middle East. And he kind of walked that back a little and said that he thought we should consult military advisors to see exactly how many ground troops should be there. And that's the best way for any of these people to go, to say, I will defer to the military experts about the best way to get a certain objective met. But one thing that he did say from his own evaluative perspective, which I liked, was that we need to change the rules of engagement, that we actually, oh, bye, Trevor. Thanks for listening. He has to go. He has to go work. It is during a work day for most people. Sorry about that. Um, rules of engagement, that we need to change those, that we need to allow our military to defend themselves and their interests and actually win a war. So that was good. But one thing that where I found him sort of contradicting himself is he was talking you know, say, let's not have the minimum wage, let's in effect cut taxes in order to spur job creation. But in the same breath, when he was talking about cutting taxes, he talked about, quote, putting education systems in place. Now, what do you hear when you hear putting education systems in place? I hear new expensive government program. And then how can you cut taxes and increase spending on education at the same time? I don't see how that's going to happen, and he didn't really give an answer, not that CNN gave him a chance to. So, Okay, now let me take a sip of water because, I mean, God, this was a workout last night, and it's a little bit of a, a workout here. Again, if you 
end up wanting to call in, I'm almost at the end of my rant, and the number is 760-888-5817. Cruz. Some people were saying, yeah, Cruz, he's sounding a little rehearsed. Now, in my social circle, there are a lot of people who are very favorable to Cruz and know a lot about Cruz and have heard Cruz speak a lot. And all of us, we know his views. So if we're watching him and we're watching him talk about some of the same things that he's talked about before, it is going to sound repetitive to us. But I think for people who were listening last night and were actually looking for substance, they would have been impressed. In fact, when I reviewed my notes, I was pleasantly surprised at how much Cruz, how much substance Cruz was able to get in even though CNN was not really giving him very much time, especially when you compare it to someone like Huckabee, who for some bizarre reason got all sorts of time. Um, in the introduction, he immediately uh, had him, you know, he position, positioned himself as someone who stands up to career politicians in both parties. And I think that's very important, right? Because many of the people who are there, it's like, oh, let's go for the outsider. Let's go for the Trump. Let's go for the Carson. Let's go for the Fiorina simply because they're outsiders. And here is Cruz, somebody who was essentially more of an outsider, who came in and has already in a short period of time in the Senate an extensive track record battling the political establishment. He's already been doing the stuff that these outsiders have been talking about doing. And he comes in at the very beginning and points that out. So if anyone's listening and they give him credit, that's awesome. Um, he also managed to talk about a lot of other things. Uh, he, uh, Good for him, he owned up to supporting Robert's nomination once the president had nominated him. Um, you know, he, re- he regrets having supported John Roberts. But things he got to mention last night were his support for the flat, flat tax, his intention to abolish the IRS. Imagine how much money could be saved and headaches and stress could be saved if we abolished the IRS. Just imagine not having to fill out all of those forms and everything else. What the flat tax rate should be, we could talk about it. The only one I think who, uh, I think some people were talking about 10% and then Rand Paul was saying 14 and a half. We could talk about what the rate should be, but the amount of stress and cost and everything else that would be saved if they did that would be phenomenal. Uh, Getting rid of Obamacare, scratching the Iran deal. Um, He may have been promoting this whole idea of, you know, putting the fence up for immigration and don't do amnesty a bit much. Because in general, I think he is for increasing legal immigration uh, at a level that, you know, is pretty high compared to a number of the candidates. So there's that. The other thing I thought he did very well was when he was asked the question about replacing Hamilton on the $10 bill, he said, don't remove Hamilton change the 20. 20 is Jackson, right? Um, He says, don't change the $10 bill. It's Hamilton. But then, of course, we would love him to suggest Ayn Rand. That's who I suggest. If you're you're going to do this $10 bill stuff, which is just a diversion from everything we should be thinking about, way more important things to think about than who is on the $10 bill. But if you're going to do it, why not put Ayn Rand on it? And you know that has to have been in his mind. I mean, he says Ayn Rand is one of his all-time heroes. She is a an American by choice and, you know, supports Americanism. Her whole philosophy defends it. 
And yet he just chimes in with the guy next to him and says, oh, Rosa Parks. So he was great on leaving Hamilton on the $10 bill, changing the 20 instead. But then I think he blew it with that. Uh, He was excellent about pointing out the fact that he supports the Second Amendment, perhaps more than anyone on that stage. He called out Supreme Court justices for behaving like philosopher kings, which I think to some extent is true, and it's a valid criticism. Um, He did at one point use an opportunity that he had to point out the fact that he had done litigation against the U.N. and had won. So anyone who's anti-UN, you know, he would get them on board if they're listening to that. He's very, very careful to get in as much substance as he can in the time that he can. Um, He was excellent, as I said earlier, on why it is bad to wait and see about the Iran deal. He specifically went through the so-called inspection provisions and showed you why they are not worth the paper or whatever else they're written on. So, uh, like I said, you know, the Iran deal, it's the whole thing about Lucy and the football with uh, Charlie Brown, but the stakes are much, much higher. Uh, Tim says that no one can say Ayn Rand at a Republican event that it's the kiss of death. Well, we're going to be working to change that. (laughs) We must be working to change that because, you know, and this is another thing, uh, Kasich, I, I didn't talk about this earlier, but Kasich at one point said, um, what did he say? He said he said something like, you know, we have a battle of ideas. And the ideas that he wants to have battle against Islam and ISIS and whatever is Judeo-Christian religions, values, whatever. And I'm sorry. I mean, if you're going to battle a totalitarian religious ideology like Islam, I would say the most effective argument against it would be an atheistic argument and yet they're all bringing this in. So I, you know, the value of strong secular arguments provided by Ayn Rand needs to be recognized in Republicans, and that's part of what this show is about. Um, okay, let's see what else we have. Oh, I think I'm also now on Rand Paul. So let me give you Rand Paul and Carson, and then I'm going to uh, take a phone call here. Okay, so Paul had a good intro where he talked about the Constitution as a limit on government. Um, foreign policy, he was he made some good points, um, particularly about the Iraq war giving us the problem with ISIS and maybe also making the Iran problem worse. But at the same time, he'll engage everybody. He's a little bit on the isolationist side, and so that's a problem. I liked his Justice Never Sleeps code name. Um, flat tax is fine. 14.5% is probably calculated by him to yield a balanced budget because he's in favor of that. Uh, but, you know, his idea of peace through strength, war as a last resort, and that it should be constitutional. I- I'm all for constitutional war. What he means by war as last resort and what I would mean by it are probably very different. Uh, he's for keeping marijuana legal or at least leaving that question to the states. Fine with that. And And he... You know, he did a good back and forth about marijuana with Christie and stuff, but the issue of Tenth Amendment versus rights, individual rights, he fell into that trap, and and that's not so good. Um, Bush, Bush was good for calling out Trump for demagoguery, but he was 
still trying to cover up the fact that he has supported Common Core. He used the term school choice and how he supported it. Um, he had one good line when discussing foreign policy that we need not to be the world's policeman, but we do need to be the world's leader. But this idea that his brother kept us safe, as I said, that that's wrong. Uh, Carson, decent about the discussion of vac- vaccination. He was also decent about just the concept of using the bully pulpit, but how he wanted to use it was not that good. Energy independence. Why is it so good not to trade with other people? That's kind of the protectionist language of Trump and stuff. Now, maybe we don't want to trade with bad guys. That's fine. But total energy independence, I don't know, um, that that's the thing that you want to, quote, threaten other people with using your bully pulpit. And then the worst thing from Carson, though, okay, and this shows you what kind of thinker he is. Carson, on the topic of minimum wage, he was urging so-called negotiations between politicians or other, you know, people in power on minimum wage. And really, if you're talking about a wage, the only people who should be engaged in negotiation are an employer and the, you know, proposed employee. They should talk about what the wage should be. This idea that you're going to have, you know, I don't know, labor leaders and politicians, and they're all going to sit at the table and they're going to say, okay, well, there's two minimum wages. There's going to be one for people who are starting out and then another so that you can ride the demand curve or create more jobs or whatever you think you're going to do. It's still controlled by government and it is still wrong. Uh, He's also somewhat incoherent on immigration. Amnesty isn't amnesty. Why? Because farmers need workers. And he sort of said why it wasn't amnesty, because they're not going to be voting, but maybe it is, but who knows. So he's not that clear a thinker, and that's the thing that is concerning me. Even though I like him, he has some good things to say, and of course he is not a career politician, but overall, no, not so impressed. Okay, so I have ended my rant, and I still have 20 minutes of show, so I'm going to go ahead and take the first caller. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, you're on the air. It's Matt, Amy. Hi. Now, Hi. I'm getting feedback, I'm getting so is there a way to feedback. turn down your audio source so I don't get the feedback? Uh, how about that? Is that better? Let me see how it is now. Yeah, see, I'm still hearing myself through. It's not terrible. So you want to you make your comment briefly? Yeah, you were asking about the military, anybody with military background, uh, to talk about pitting two sides against each other. Right. And generally, it's a good tactic, but it's not um, – it, it really depends on, on the sides. For instance, uh, was it a good idea to pit Nazi Germany against Russia, and what should be done there? And what – you know, we took the wrong side by uh, by helping Russia – Whereas they, we didn't need to do that. We could have let them work each other over and then uh, come in afterwards. Right. And what, what do you what do you think about that strategy with respect to Syria and ISIS, though? It's almost too late. Uh, we could have been. Uh, we really should have supported the better sides in the beginning, but we didn't. And by the time Obama went around to asking the people in the special forces community what he should be doing, uh, 
they had no idea. There were 36 or 40 different groups there that they could have supported, and they they were not specific about whom to support and never even bothered to ask the questions of, um, you know, who we should be supporting. And that's why it all fell apart in the long run. I think they would have done something, but uh, they didn't even know what questions to ask as far as whom to support. So potentially the approach in general could have some promise, even in this scenario, but you'd have to have a leader who kind of struck at the right time and and allied themselves with the right people. Yes, that's very true. Okay, okay. And then, um, oh, I had a different question. Oh, what about this issue of the fact that we're training these people and they wind up being military leaders of ISIS? (laughs) Always a risk, uh, just like we did in Afghanistan, certainly. Uh, We armed and trained a lot of the rebels there which came back to get us. And, again, it's because you weren't uh, looking at the actual ideology of the people you were supporting. And so that could, you know, it, to Obama's benefit, he didn't do that and just jump in and start supporting everybody. And, you know, it, he could have he done better, but he could have done worse. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you uh, for listening, Matt, and thanks for calling in to try to help us with this. I mean, you know, again, this is something that I found intriguing. And if, you know, other people also want to call in and, and tell me more about ISIS versus Syria and the prospects for that, I'm, in, I'm into that. So thanks very much for well, listening. A- Oops. <laughs> he was about to talk, and I just cut him off. Let me see if I can get him back on again. Sorry, I almost cut you off in the middle. You had one more thing? That's okay. Yeah, yeah. It more depends on the State Department than the military, of course. Mm-hmm. And interesting, one thing that uh, that Rand brought never really brought up, is the State Department a legitimate function of government? I'd say it is. But, um, you know, she never really addressed that. And if you do have a good State Department, if you do have good ambassadors, you'll be in pretty good shape. Now, the ambassadors off, operate with a letter from the president. And so, in some respects, they're outside the realm of the Secretary of State. So, Mm -hmm. they can go directly to the President. And so, you really have to have somebody good as Secretary of State who can uh, get along well with these ambassadors. It's just an interesting side note there, but uh, like I said, it is more important than the military option in, in so many cases. Okay. Great. Thanks for your input there, Matt, and hopefully we will get to talk to you here again. I've got another call that I'm going to grab. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, Amy, it's Jonathan. Hi, thanks for calling in, Jonathan. How are you doing? Good, good. I enjoyed your analysis and just wanted to add one perspective and maybe have you react to it. Uh, well, and I, you know, I want to ask what, you about hedge funds. I want to ask you about hedge fund taxes and stuff. Uh, if you have time to discuss as well, but go go on with yours. Sure. Well, I'm on a treadmill, so I probably I can't <laughs> can't respond as long as I'd like. But you know, one of the things that frustrated has frustrated me most about Trump is he has presented himself as the businessman and as a successful businessman. And obviously, Iran, uh, Ayn Rand's comments about how some of the worst defenders of business are the business people. So um, you know, I I've been so frustrated to see him put himself forward as the quintessential businessman when, of course, so many of his perspectives and ideas are so anti-business. 
and just the opposite for, for Carly Fiorina. Um, you know, while I don't know much about her positions, I think she came across as competent, as knowledgeable, as well-spoken, as tactful and, and authoritative and classy. Uh, and to have that as just a business person alternative to Donald Trump, I think, was a real uh, uh, great up for for <laughs> for us, I suppose, in some kind of a way. And I wanted to get your perspective just in terms of business people running and, and Carly versus Trump on that on that stage. I mean, definitely. And, you know, again, I strongly disagreed with Chris Christie, who was upset that the two of them were going back and forth discussing their business records because their records are very important for us to evaluate. That's their resume. You know, they're not career politicians. So it was it was good that we got to learn that. I like that Fiorina in particular is realizing that as a business person, she is going to come under a lot of skepticism uh, because of her lack of foreign policy experience. And she's emphasizing those parts of her resume where she has actually dealt with leaders in foreign countries as a business person. So I, I like that she is, you know, taking on the responsibility to demonstrate to people that she is up to speed on foreign policy issues, even though she comes from this arena. It's not even the case that every politician from all of these different, you know, govern state governors and stuff, that they even have that great of foreign policy background. But I would think that the person who faces the most skepticism is somebody who's a business person who comes in as an outsider or, you know, maybe a surgeon like, um, you know, Carson. So I, I'm impressed. I mean, I, I really liked Fiorina. And, you know, as I said, was it just me, a woman, being really impressed to see, you know, Fiorina in a strong and classy uh, way stand up against the bully Trump? Maybe part of that is there, but there's a number of specific policies that she has, you know, taken on that I think is, is right too. So I'm I'm optimistic. All right, thank you so much. Great show. Yeah. So so hedge funds. I mean, why are why are people demonizing hedge fund managers? Why are they doing this? Why is it okay to you know propose tax increases on hedge fund managers when it's not for everybody else? Well, why is why are Republicans demonizing hedge fund managers. I mean, Hillary Clinton literally made the exact same uh, blur back in 2008. And, uh, you know, it's bewildering to me. Uh, I think somebody last night, forgive me, had a great perspective that wealth creators, I, I, you might remember who am I, but... Yeah, you know what creator, it, was? it was? It was actually Huckabee. He said, don't tax production or something. So he occasionally he's got something very good that comes out of his mouth. You know, don't punish productivity in effect. Yeah. I, I have to run, though, Amy. Thanks so much and great show. Okay, no problem. Thanks very much, John. Thank okay. you. Jonathan. So, by the way, that was Jonathan Honig, so I'm very happy to have had him call in. And uh, even if he's doing it during his treadmill workout. Hi, who's it? Hello? Hello, you're you're on the air. Who's this? Yeah, this is uh, Bosch. Bosch, thanks for calling Bosch. in the show. So, did you agree with the what I said? Three. Oh, sorry. The infidel three is coming I thought it was commercial time. I thought it was. I, I thought you know it was commercial time. The infidel three. Ted Knight comes out in six days. But anyway, what were you saying? So first, say hi to <laughs> everybody, and then. Hello, 
Tell me whether you agreed with. I don't want, my, yeah, see, I don't want, I don't want to do a pretense. I'm joking. Go on, go on. I was going to say, did you did you agree with my analysis of the debate, et cetera? Yes, uh, I heard most of it. I heard most of it. It was very good, very good. Okay. And okay. Uh, I thought because I only watched half of it at a certain point, I didn't see Cruz for so long. I thought they, uh, you know, they. Uh, they froze him out again, but what little yeah, I did there, 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 was, there was a period of time where they were freezing him out, and whether yeah. that particular period of time corresponded to the time that more people were tuned in versus not. I mean, this is a three-hour stretch. It's exhausting. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, Chris, Christy was starving, too. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> I was starving. I mean, starving. he was like three hours. Forget Christy. I was starving. I, I mean, I had, he was, I had to, he was I had to chewing something. Chew. I had these two pathetic, um, like, Justin's dark chocolate peanut butter cups sitting by me, and I had eaten one of them, and I'm sitting here furiously typing these notes in forms of tweets out there, and I was exhausted. It was crazy. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm sympathetic. But, okay, so, so it, I mean, pick something that I said that you thought maybe I got sort of wrong in analyzing these people. Anything? Well, I... Again, I, I didn't hear everything. I heard most of it. I heard maybe, maybe uh, a bulk of it from the opening. I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm fine with what you said. It's just, uh, I mean, uh, Carly Fiorina was good from what, from what I saw. She definitely mm-hmm. was. Uh, she was the highlight of the night, more so than the other guys. I think if Cruz had a little more time, he might have been able to make a little more impact. But when he did get the time, he made the most of it. But Carly, you know, she made the most of it also, and she had a lot more time. And so, right. I mean, she was good, uh, def- definitely good, probably the most, you know, she made the best use of her time, and, and again, she made it a point to take time. It's like, I think Cruz has to step up and make it aware that he's being blocked out, and he has to say something about it. Like when uh, Jake Tapper uh, completely rudely cut him off when it, when when he was talking about the global warming, quote-unquote. Uh, yeah, I mean, they wanted, they, they wanted they wanted Rubio to yeah. take the climate change also. skeptic position, and Cruz would yeah. have taken that position, but I guess they didn't want to tangle with Cruz. No, right? because Cruz is the best about it. He's the best. He's the most informed about it, and he's the most articulate about it, and they don't want that. They don't want uh, the idea that this thing can be actually argued against successfully to be out there. Right. And that's that's really why to do it. But you know, but about the Iran thing, nobody was better than Cruz. Nobody. You point mm-hmm. that out also. It's so important to say these guys scream death to America. They've killed Americans. They want to kill us still. You can't right. talk to them. You can't negotiate with them. Yeah, and Cruz so, Cruz also pointed out, you know, that the Iranians they call. Israel, the little Satan, yeah. and United States, the great Satan. This yeah. was on CNN. This was on the most yeah. watched show that CNN has ever had. Cruz got that message out yeah. there. It is important. I mean, you know, again, there there were a couple people in my social media circle that were like, oh, I don't know if Cruz was, you know, that on fire or whatever, you know, a little bit rotor. But listen, there are a number of people who are hearing some of this stuff for the first time, and yeah. we've heard it from Cruz right. many times. So if you if you try That's to right. be objective about it, I think he got a lot of good content across. It's going to be interesting to see what happens from here. And I would then, love um, to see them. I'd love to see them get rid of Kasich and Huckabee at least from the next yeah, debate. And I'm sorry to say, at even Carson, Carson doesn't even add that much in terms of substance. I like Walker, him. I like him. You know, uh, Sleepwalker I, is just I don't know. 
I mean, he's there. He's not there. I don't get he's it. So, he's, he's okay. Like he's okay. The man, no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. He's the man who wasn't there. Nothing he said was like, yes, yes, great point. Nothing. Not last time, not this time. What the hell happened? The idea that he was going to be the guy, he's not the guy. And Chris yeah. Christie was really uh, out there trying to say, look, look, I'm still Chris, Chris Christie. I'm still a loudmouth. I'm still aggressive. So what? Yeah, no I, I urge I urge people to go to my little Twitter feed over at Amy Peacock and and retweet out there the place where I'm calling Chris Christie on he's you know he's purportedly against tax increases because he vetoed so many tax increases. That is a misleading statistic <laughs> right. that he puts up there. He is such a snake, such a snake. Yep. Um. So you've got in a what less than a week now. Infidel yeah. 3 coming out. Infidel 3 is how many pages? It's a huge comic. It is 55 pages. It's 55 uh, page comic. So it's like twice yeah. the size almost of a normal comic. 30, 32 pages than your average comic. 32 pages. And uh, everything happens in here. I mean, it's, it's, it's the biggest issue I've done, the most consequential issue I've done. And the ending is, I won't say, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a hell of an ending. Um, I just I can't wait to get it out there. If you like issue one, if you like issue two, I think you will love this. And if you haven't gotten issue one or two, you know, check it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you you know, if people thing. have been thinking of checking it out, it's pretty easy. You go to Comixology. You can download the Comixology app. I think it's on both the Android and the iOS yes. platforms. And the app makes it really easy to navigate. The comics and to zoom in on you know panels and things like that and really get the most out of the viewing experience. The colors look amazing. I mean, it's it's yeah, awesome. Right. Freedom Breeze yeah. asked if we can pre-order it. No, unfortunately, they don't have a pre-order, right, Bosch? Yeah, I tried. I tried. I tried to really pressure them to some extent, and uh, I wasn't able to. They said, well, because I'm under this certain category, they don't do that. And I was a little, a little disappointed. I got to say, because I wanted out. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, the fact is, Comicsology accepts my book as is, which is pretty extraordinary considering where we are. We are we live in a PC culture. They have uh, PC comics across the board in their on their app, and uh, they accept it. They said it's a good comic, and that's it. And you know, if if, if anyone knows about it, the ending of, of issue two, I thought that might be the one that they reject. They didn't reject it. Right. So. Right. It's, Excellent. It's, I'm really, I'm happy to be part of it. Anyway, I let you go. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I just want to get out there. Six days. I can't wait to get out. There. I'm very excited. Yeah, I, w- I wish you the most success with it. And yeah, we'll we'll yeah. definitely talk to you again. You know, there's one thing I was going to ask you. Um, yeah. Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter. What did you think about her tweet where she <laughs> says about the Republicans on stage? You know, how many effing Jews do they think that there actually are in the United States or something like that? It was words to that effect. She's such an ass. I mean, she's such an ass. And I think she might be flat out anti-Semite. She said something um, that was less uh, extreme a few years ago when she said uh, Jews have to be perfected, meaning Christianized, meaning made into Christians. Well, she thinks everybody has to, right? So I I am a horrible sinner, right? No, 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 no. No, what I'm saying is, yes, but specifically Jews is what she said. And then she says, how many effing Jews are, are there in America? As in, yeah, and, oh, and enough with the Israel stuff. This is the thing, right? I mean, she tried to make it an issue about the pandering that 
candidates do on stage at these debates. And I'm sympathetic with that idea. It's like, okay, you shouldn't pander to this group versus that group versus the whatever. But here, the implication is that unless you are a Jew, you're not a person that's, quote, being pandered to by the pro-Israel comments that these candidates are making. And I find it highly offensive that she's implying that the only people who are going to be affected by the pro-Israel positions of the candidates are Jewish people. Because Israel, I mean, I'll just I'll just give you an example about I mean, I'm I am constantly bumping up against values created by people from the state of Israel. So, for example, um, I've got this kidney issue. Right. And one of my kidneys is like uh, partly shrunken or whatever. And there is literature about regeneration of kidney tissue. And there's an article out of Stanford where a Stanford scientist worked from someone with Israel, and they showed that in mice and stuff that kidneys actually remodel themselves, that they actually can regrow. And I've heard of some cases of it. So this is another case in which, you know, somebody from Israel provides a help. Um, we've got about a minute or so, so, Bosch, I'm going to go One ahead and say goodbye. Go ahead. One thing about, about uh, Israel, you know, sometimes I'm critical, accused by liberals and Muslims of being false dying, if you understand. Because the only reason you are pro-Israel is if you're a Jew, and that's the same thing exactly. that Exactly. And, and, and that's the, that's the kind of idea that she's perpetuating, even when she says, Very the tar- you know, the target of her critique was pandering, right? All right, take care, everyone. Thanks. Okay, you too. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks very much for calling in. Everyone who's listening, thank you for tuning in. I hope you did get some value and gain some perspective uh, from this. We're going to continue the post-debate debriefings as long as I can endure watching them. Uh, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com if you want to continue the discussion. If you've enjoyed this show, share it with your friends. If you want to support the show, again, don'tletitgo.com is the place to go. Thanks to all of you who helped to keep this show on the air. Uh, We always welcome new supporters, uh, too. So thanks again. Have a good rest of your Thursday and weekend, and go out, celebrate Constitution Day, and I'll talk to you next week. Take care.